to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book, Hebrews chapter 9 and the 27th and 28th verse. That's really going to be our jumping off point. It's going to be this verse that we're kind of unpacking today. If you want to, you can also turn to Luke's gospel, the 16th chapter. That's another passage that we're going to be spending a little time in a little bit later. Kind of slide you something in to mark that place if you want to turn over there when we get there a little bit later. But we're really going to be focusing on Hebrews 9, 27, and 28. Just to kind of give a little overview, a little review of what we're doing, we've been kind of working ourselves up towards Easter. Uh, we've been kind of looking at this theme of the road less traveled, which is based really on a passage in Matthew. Helps if you turn it on. In Matthew chapter 7, where it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The road less traveled, that narrow way. And, and we've been kind of spending some time looking at this, this divergent kind of two ways of living life. We looked at the worldview. And we saw the divergent the uh, worldview, the, the Bible tells us to take that narrow way. So we've been looking at these two divergent ways of living, realizing that Easter is where the two roads split. So, so next week, we're going to kind of really come to that wonderful pun that I like, the crossroads in life next week uh, as we look at Easter and really going to be concentrating on how to take the first step. What's the first step into the narrow way? But that's next week. This week we're going to kind of take some time, as I said, to continue looking at these two ways and seeing the differences. We looked at the different worldviews here that is there a God, isn't there a God, is there truth, isn't there truth, is there authority, isn't there authority, is there a creator, isn't there a creator. And just how you view the world as a whole kind of is, is how these two ways look different. Then we looked at, uh, made that kind of smaller as we looked at what it means to think and identify who Jesus is as the Lord, as God himself. And today we're going to look at this passage, Matthew 9, 27, 20. Just as man is appointed to die once and after that face judgment, so also Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who eagerly await him. And so we're going to be kind of unpacking this verse. We're going to be also addressing six or seven different misconceptions that people have about death as we spend some time thinking about the day we die. The reason I didn't give you a heads up last week of what the day sermon would be because you would have probably chosen, wait, wait a second, I'm not going to go spend time about that. I mean, of all those, those things that I mentioned when we were young, when, you know, thinking about our wedding and our college and our first car and, and our job and, and, and places we'd like to visit and things we'd like to do and places we'd like to see, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about the day we die. And thinking about death. I actually think most people have probably spent most of their life trying to avoid that topic. And so what I want to do today is answer a few questions about death and about our, our anticipation of death and, and see how which road you go down makes a whole lot difference on how you view that. Um, because Paul himself, when he thought about his death, said, this is what I prefer. 
to, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, to, for me to die is gain. And it, it, even at one point when he's talking to some of the people in the letter, he's like, I'm hard pressed on which to decide. You know, I would prefer to go be with God, but I know I need to stick around for your sake. And so when he thought about death, it was something very attractive for him. And I'm not sure we all see it that way. So, so the first question I really want to answer today, as we look at these different, these divergent anticipations of death, as we, as we look down the road really to the end of the road, like if I go this way, what can I anticipate? And if I go this way, what can I anticipate when I get to the end of the road? So we're going to look all the way down the road. So the first question, why death on Palm Sunday? You know, this is the happy day, right? This is the day Jesus came in to Jerusalem and he's finally getting the recognition that he deserves, right? They're, they're throwing their coats down. They're praising God, Hosanna, glory in the highest. They're laying the palm branches down. Behold, your king is coming into Jerusalem. This is the day we're supposed to have kids running up and down the aisle with, with their little palm branches. And we're all going to sit here and smile. That's so cute. That's so sweet. I'm so happy to be in church today. Why in the world would Jason go and mess up Palm Sunday thinking about death? Well, in Luke's gospel, the 19th chapter, verses 41 and 42, while everybody else was screaming Hosanna, everybody else was praising God, everybody else were laying down palm branches, what do we find Jesus doing? He comes to the top of that hill and he looks down over Jerusalem as he's sitting on that donkey. And here's what he says. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If only you had known this day would bring you peace. Jesus looks out on this city that he's going to enter and he's broken hearted. While everybody else is happy, while everybody else is dancing and singing, Jesus is crying. Now, what is it he's crying about? Is he thinking about his own death? I mean, because obviously he knows that's coming. You know, this is, this is going to be what we celebrate on Thursday night is he comes down, he goes in, has the Lord's Supper. He's been teaching his disciples over and over that the Son of Man must come and be rejected by the rulers and die and be crucified and, and raised back from the death. So is he crying because of his own death? Is he looking forward? And he's like, okay, it's Sunday. I know what's happening on Friday. Is that what's breaking his heart or is it something else? Is he thinking about other people's death? Is he thinking about the destruction of the city? Is he thinking about those who say, who won't realize I'm the Messiah? My day, it, this is the day you've been waiting for and you've missed it. I'll, I'll just be honest with you. On more than one occasion, people have gotten upset with me because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. You know, we, we, we've been in church long enough and we got our rhythms and we got our traditions and we got, we got all these things. And, and usually the thing I'm supposed to do is the thing is defined by what that person determined I was supposed to do, what they expected of me. You know, it, it's, it's 
Mother's Day, and we need a good Mother's Day sermon, and it's Fourth of July, and we need a good sermon on freedom, and you know, and it's Father's Day, and we need to talk about dads, and it's and it's Palm Sunday, and we we need to do this, and this is this is our tradition, and and people have done it for so long that they can come and do those things, and it never phase them one little bit what they're doing. Jesus is looking at destruction that so many will receive and so many will experience. And so many people, he's sitting there going, most of the people are going the well-traveled wide road. And so many of you are going the narrow way. And he's broken hearted. I want you just to imagine yourself. What if... This week, when you go to work on Monday morning, you stop and you look out over your place of business and just contemplate how many people in that place of business are on the wide road and how many are on the narrow road. What if when you go to school this week, you stop and you look over your school and think about how many are on the wide road and how many are on the narrow road. Or, or when you drive home to your community this week and you, and you crest whatever hill in Pennsylvania or come up whatever dip you come out of to go into where your house is and you think about your neighbors and you start to think about how many of my neighbors are on the wide road and how many of them are on the narrow road. Will you be as happy as you are thinking about Palm Sunday or will you be like Jesus and cry over the people who are missing it? Sometimes we need to do something unexpected so it gets our attention. We need to do something out of the norm so it gets our attention. And and here's my conviction. There are a lot of people going through a lot of motions. Some for the last 40 days have been going through a, a weekly uh, process of denying themselves leading up to Easter. Why? Because that's tradition. A lot of people this week, some of them will read their Bible every day this week. Why? Because, well, it's Easter Sunday. It's, it's Holy Week. That's what we do this week. And we go through these motions and we go through these motions and people will show up probably, we think, maybe, we'll see, next Sunday who we haven't seen till since Christmas and we won't see them again till next Christmas. Well, because it's the high holy days and this is what you do. And people will go through motions and go through motions and do what is expected and do what is convenient and do what's traditional and do what they're used to. And they won't be changed one little bit by it. And so sometimes we got to change things up just to get our attention. And so here... On triumphal entry day, we're going to talk about death. And maybe I'll tie it together this way. When you think about your death, are you anticipating a triumphal entry or not? When you think about your death, are you anticipating your own triumphal entry? When you come before God in his presence, and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Or like in Matthew chapter 7 where he says, depart from me, I never knew you. What anticipation do you have on the day you die? All right, well, let's talk about, here's a question we're going to start off with. What is death? If we're going to talk about dying, we better figure out what death is. Now, most of us, or if you were to talk to most people, most people commonly think, their, their common thought about death is death is the end, Right? I love watching, I love what Shelly loves watching old movies, you know, and the old movies all end 
with that last little frame, the end. You don't see that in modern movies anymore. They just kind of go. And now modern movies have this whole little thing they like to do is they show one little clip, you know, 12 minutes into the credits. You got to watch all, you got to watch 12 minutes of credits to get another 30 second little blurb at the end because the end isn't the end in modern movies. But in old movies, when, when they day, they would be that last thing, the end. And you're like, yep, it's over. And that's what most people think about death. It's the end. It's over. But that's really not the way the Bible describes it. Here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2. It says, Then the Lord formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. If we're going to understand what death is, we first need to understand what it is to be alive. <laughs> and that starts off here in Genesis when God created the first man. And it really shows us a two-step process. All right, in this creation, it shows us one God. It says, it says he formed the man from the dust. So he made a material part of man. He gave him a body. He took the dust of the ground. He made flesh and bones and hearts and sinew and muscles and, and all those things. Uh, so he gave him a material part. The second step in that creation in the life process is then it says, and then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He gave him a soul or a spirit. And so he created man. That life, as God intended it, is this two-step process of having a material body united with a non-material self or a material self and a non-material self. Put the two together, body, soul, put them together. You have a living being. This is the life process. And so what death really is, is separation, more than being the end, I think it's better for us to consider death as separation. So if life is when you take a body and a spirit and you put them together and you've got a living part, well, what happens at death? The body and the soul are separated. They come apart. And so that's what death is. Death is, I think, much better seen as this separation of these two. We see a very similar story in Ezekiel chapter 37. This is when Ezekiel is having the vision of the, the, the valley of the dry bones. And, and I'm going to read a little bit of that from starting in verse 7 of Ezekiel 37. So I prophesied and I was commanded. And, I, and as I prophesied, there was the sound. And behold, a rattling of bones came together bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there was sinew on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Now that, that Old Testament word breath uh, can be translated three ways. It's ruach, it can be breath, it can be wind, or it can be spirit or soul. And so there's no spirit within them. So they had the body part, but they were missing something. Then he said to me, prophesy over the breath or over the spirit, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breathe the, and breath on these slain and they will live. And so I prophesied as I commanded and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. We, we see that same two-step process that in this vision where they got the body part and then the spirit part comes and then they lived. Or alive. And so the, so the process, the understanding of death, and the first misconception that we're kind of pointing out is death isn't the end. Death is simply separation. All right? Next question. 
So how many deaths are there? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's two types of death. Physical death and spiritual death, according to the Scriptures. Now, physical death is what we just got ready talking about. It's the separation from the body, the body from the soul. When we physically die, our body and our soul, they're separated from one another. Then what is spiritual death? Well, spiritual death, as the Bible teaches us, is the, is the separation of humans from God. That we were created, and remember back to our worldview, that we were created by God, for God, to be with God. This is the way we were intended to live forever in the presence of God. This was the design. And spiritual death is when humanity is separated from God. The wages of sin is death. That's not talking about physical death. That's talking about spiritual death. Our sin separates us from a holy God. And so we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. This is what it means to be separated from God. There's a, there's a verse in, in, in Revelation 21, 8. It says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, and sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, just to make a good case for just about 99% of humanity, right? Their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. It kind of, there, there's several passages within the book of Revelation 2, 11, uh, 20, uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verses 6 and 14, and then verse 21, verse 8, that talks about this idea of there being a second death. And it's always referring to this separation from God, that, that these people are going to be cast into hell where God's not at, so they're separated from God. That's the second death death. And so there's two kinds of deaths. Now here's some here's a, a fact that we all need to grasp. Everyone will experience the first death. However, you don't have to experience the second death. At every the, the mortality rate of humanity is 100%. That some point we are all going to face the first death the day that our body and our soul are separated from each other for some time depending on how long the Lord tarries. But the second death is an optional death. That's why when, when it says there, it's back in the Hebrews, it says, He will not come, He will not appear the second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who eagerly await Him. What's the salvation Jesus is bringing when He comes back the next time? Escape from the second death. Salvation from being separated from God. And so that's what we're celebrating. He, uh, Revelation 2.11 says this, He who has the ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. It's an option. You don't have to embrace. You don't have to die the second time. 1 John 5, 4 tells us what it means to, to have that overcomer, what it means to be a conqueror. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes or conquers the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is what it means to be an overcomer, to have faith 
and salvation from the second death. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, Thus it is written, The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, which is a reference to Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. That Jesus is where life comes from. And it's life. It's that second life. It's not so we don't have second death. He brings us into the presence of God. All right, so that's what it is. That's what death is. So, understanding what death is and, and how many deaths there are, what happens on the day you die? Now, I want to share with you that this is actually, I'm grateful someone Someone uh, had a question about this. They came to me and said, can you help me kind of understand this? Been having some conversations with people. So I dove into to kind of studying this a little bit. And as I studied it, I was like, you know, if one person has this question, there might be other people with questions about this. And, and there's certainly some misconceptions we need to kind of clear up. And so gratefully, that kind of became today's sermon and, and that time for us to really look at this important thing that happens in our life. So when you die, on that day, what can you anticipate? Well, your spirit goes to Sheol or Hades. All right, that non-material part of you, you all got two parts, body and spirit, body and soul, however you want to say it. When that separation occurs, part of you goes to this place called, referred to in the Old Testament as Sheol, in the New Testament as Hades. All right, the other part of you, well, you know that part. Body goes into the grave or a tomb, or it's becoming very popular, your body goes into an urn to kind of be there until that day comes. Now, I want to clear up a couple of misconceptions because maybe I've confused you, and if I've done a good job, I have, so we can clear some things up. The word Sheol or Hades is something we get confused about. Let me make this clear. It is not hell. Sheol is, is a place, it, it's a divided spiritual realm where souls reside while waiting for the culmination of God's plan for the cosmos. It's, it's, a, it's called the place of the dead, is how it's often referred to. Now, the, new, the, the King James, when it, refers, when it refers to the word Hades, what we call Hades, it translates it hell. But Hades is not hell, it's just a place where the spirits go and wait for the end of time. It's a divided place. Now, this is where, if you want to turn to, to Luke 16, this is when we're going to get to that and, and kind of see how this fleshes out. The Old Testament, it calls it Sheol or the grave, a place where the where dead souls, that not non-material, uh, spiritual part of us goes and, and waits for the end of time, when Jesus comes back, when God comes back and, and final judgment takes place. And it, it's a divided place because people are on two sides uh, in this place. Um, so first I want to just make sure you understand that, that you see the word Hades and because of the King James and because of our massive exposure to Greek mythology and Roman mythology, we usually picture that word as meaning hell proper, that particular place, but it's not that. The place of the dead has two sides that are separated. One is blessed and, and called the, the uh, Abraham's bosom, and the other side is a cursed place of torment. So in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, verses 19 through 31, you have the story 
of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, a couple of things I want to point out here is I call it the story of, rich, of the rich man and Lazarus, not the parable. I fully believe that this is a story and not a parable. This is, this is a story Jesus tells about two real people when they really died and what really happened to them after they died. It's not, it's not a figurative story. It's not, it's not a, a parable in that it's a metaphor for something else. No, this is, I believe, Jesus telling a real life story of people because he was God that he was aware of and he let, gives us a hint into what happens on the day he dies. So you, you know the story, or, or many of you will, but I'll remind you a little bit. Rich man Lazarus, right? Uh, Rick, Lazarus is a beggar that lived outside the rich man's house, and he begged for the crumbs that fell from his table, and he was sick, and the door, dogs licked his sores, and, and, and they both died. And the rich man, uh, uh, the, the Lazarus, the beggar, was carried to what the Bible calls in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 16, calls it, the Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side, all right, that his soul went to this place and it was a blessed place. He's, he starts to enjoy the comfort of heaven. On the other side of this place where the rich man is, it's a wholly different experience. It says in verse 22, the poor man died, uh, verse 23, and in Hades, there's the word, uh, in Hades, being tormented, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called to him, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. And so there they are in Hades, their spiritual selves. And one is experiencing the blessings of Abraham and one is experiencing the torment of the wide road. Their souls are already experiencing these things. And, and, and Abraham responds in verse 26, and besides, he says, that can't be done. He says, besides, there's between us a great chasm that's been fixed in order for those who pass from here, who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. So, so we're here in Hades, and you're on that side, and we're on that, this side, and we can't get to each other. There's this big chasm. The rich man begs. Abraham to send somebody back to talk to his five brothers so that they may be warned about this horrible place. So they won't come to this place of torment. And Abraham again says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, father, but if someone would come from the dead, they would repent. And he said, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. Something you need to to understand too is that that reference to Moses and the prophets is Abraham referring to the scriptures. That's that's kind of a longhand term. Uh, in other places in the Bible, they say Moses the prophets in the Psalms or Moses the prophets in the writings. These are old. These are New Testament references to the scriptures, especially the Old Testament scriptures. And so what he's saying is, look, they have the scriptures. There's enough in the scriptures to tell them and warn them about this place if they would but listen. And so in the end. The soul, when it's separated from the body, is already recognizing the judgment of God. Because it says it is appointed man wants to die, and then the judgment, back to your Hebrews 9 chapter. So they're already recognizing the judgment of God, and the non-material self starts to experience which road you've chosen. The blessed side or the, or the wide road. 
the narrow road or the wide road. So, so in that place where we're waiting for the resurrection, where we're waiting for God's final judgment, we already start to experience the reality of the decisions that we've made. Now, a couple of things I want you to quickly get from this story. The experience is real. The rich man in hell is experiencing pain. He's experiencing torment. He's experiencing suffering. Right? Have you ever heard the phrase, perception is truth? You know, people use that to, to kind of like, well, whatever somebody perceives, and it's a, it's a phrase that pretty much drives me nuts most of the time. Because, you know, if you perceive that two plus two is five, that's not truth. <laughs> I don't care how many times you perceive two plus two equal five, you're still wrong. You know, but, but there is some sense that it's a true statement that what people perceive, what they believe, what they think and experience, it is real to them. And this man in hell as a spirit is perceiving torment. You know what that makes it to him? Real. It's real for him. And, and there's one misconception that this experience, that he's already experiencing the torment, and we assume Lazarus is already experiencing the blessedness of, of the other side of Hades, this is something, it, it tells us that there is no such thing as soul sleep, which is a misconception that some people have that when you die, your soul goes to sleep. And it just kind of takes a nap for as long as it takes for God to come back. But we see these souls here in Hades already starting to experience the consequences of the road they chose. Their souls aren't asleep. They're experiencing something real going on. One in torment, one in blessed assurance, one in comfort. And so it, let's put to bed this misconception that, well, when you die, your soul just goes to sleep and it just kind of like a, you know, Rip Van Winkle 40-year nap or longer. The second thing we get from, from this Luke passage is that the choice is permanent, even in Hades, even in this place of the dead, where the dead souls, there's a chasm that they can't cross. What Abraham is saying to the man is, you made your choice. You're on that side. And he made his choice. And he's on this side. And that can't change. The misconception that this points out for us when people think about death, there's no purgatory. There's no chance for you to go to this place and say, no matter how much people pray for you here, no matter how much people give money for you here, no matter what happens here, once you've made your decision, it's permanent. And there's no switching sides. It's a permanent choice. And that's why as we approach Easter and we come to the crossroads, you need to make the right decision that day. And we need to be heartbroken about people who are on the wide road, not on the narrow road, because if they die on the wrong road, there's no off-ramps after that. There's no options after that. There's no amount of nothing we can do to change it once you're dead. And the third thing we can learn, the Bible sounds a clear warning. That's what he says. He said, they got Moses and they got the prophets. If they're not going to listen to the Bible, they ain't even going to listen to somebody coming back from the dead because they'll explain that away. You know, you just had a bad burrito last night. You just thought you saw somebody from the dead and it really wasn't from the dead. You know, it, you know, 
The Bible makes it clear that the Bible is enough to warn people about God. And so there's no excuse. There is no excuse for someone ending up in hell accidentally. And there's no excuse for us not to tell people about it. But it is our job to take people to the scriptures and sound the warning while there's still time to get on a different road. We need to think about not only our deaths, we need to think about deaths of those around us. Because once that happens, there is no changing it. Would it be that we were as brokenhearted about people on the wide road as the rich man was when he was in torment there in Hades? His number one concern, or one of his number one concern, one of he's trying to ease his own pain, and then he goes, go warn those I love. Go warn those that I care. We have no excuse for not telling. So, what happens at the end? We keep talking about the end. We've, we've gotten our soul there in Hades, already experiencing the reality of the choices we made. Well, what happens after that? Well, Revelation chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 25 kind of paint the scene for us. They describe what's going to happen. That, that there's a time when the souls that are in Sheol or Hades are reunited with their body. That's, by the way, when you take the two that are separated and you take the body and you take the soul and you put them back together after they've been separated, that's called resurrection. They were dead, separated, they're rejoined, they're resurrected, right? So the bodies that are separated uh, from body and soul, there will be a resurrection and they will stand before God, the judge, to have judgment that pronounced the, 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 the judgment that the soul has already been experienced, God will announce that for all to hear. And the two groups will be separated one from another. As Matthew 25 describes it, goats on one side, lambs or sheep on the other side. They will be separated and they will spend eternity enjoying or enduring the reward or the curse they decided when they came to the cross of Easter. And what happens after that? People, body and soul reunited, will enter either heaven or hell. Heaven and hell are a place where whole people go, body and soul reunited. One into the presence of life, and as the Bible says, one to experience the second death, the one that was optional. Frost closes his, his, his poem out, I chose the road less traveled, and that made all the difference. That is the most understated phrase in all of eternity when it comes to to these two roads. Choosing the narrow road, the less traveled road, boy, does that make all the difference. Gnostics, which were the earliest 
heresy to, to kind of bring itself to life. They had a misconception, along with people who practiced Hindu and Buddhist and even the New Age movement among our lives. And they believed that the material body that you and I have, that everybody pat yourself on the head or clap your hands or pinch your skin to make sure you're still awake, that part of you, the Gnostics and, and, these, and these other religions see that part of you as evil, that that's evil. And, and the whole goal of life is trying to shed this body off and get rid of it and to live purely as a spiritual being. Well, let me ask you this question. Those of you, next week we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. When his soul and his body came back together and he walked out of a tomb, right? And a few days later, 40 days later or so, he would be he would be. Uh, ascend into heaven. That's what we're celebrating next week. So where's Jesus's body at right now? It's in heaven. There's a physical body in heaven right now, the Lord Jesus's body. And if heaven is a place that has nothing evil in it, then your body is not evil because Jesus's body is not evil and it's already in that place the way life was intended is for us to experience god did not make a mistake by giving you a material body and part of what we look on easter is the day that our soul and our body are reunited resurrected and we get to live in the presence of God, reunited with God forever in His presence. This is what we hold on to. This is what we anticipate. This is why Paul said, to die is gain. I much prefer to be in the presence of the Lord than absent from the Lord. This is what I was designed for. This is what we're supposed to anticipate. This is why Christians should relish the days when they think about their death, because it is a great, great thing. And so that is what we anticipate. I want to make just a couple of quick application points for you to think about. As you think about this week, I hope that you'll spend every day this week thinking about the day you die. That sounds morbid or sad. The Bible calls it the, the day that you get to see Jesus face to face. You know, that blessed day that you have. A couple of things I want you to realize as we prepare for this this really looking at what's the step onto the narrow way. I want you to recognize Jesus is backwards. <laughs> Jesus is backwards. Jesus died backwardsly. Jesus died spiritually first and physically second. Most of us, or all of us, we will die physically first, <laughs> and then we will determine where our spiritual life is. You know, that's a, we die and then the judgment. Jesus was judged and then he died. By the way, he was judged for us, not for himself. This is what it says in Matthew's Gospel, 27th chapter, 46th verse. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lamna, lamna sabachthani, which means, most of you have heard this a thousand times, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What I believe that represents is when Jesus was finally separated from God. He spent those moments separated from God. He died spiritually. The separation 
that was ours from God, Jesus finally experienced. He'd been connected with God all his life. And it may have started as early as the night he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed and God didn't answer him for the first time. And he prayed a third time and God didn't answer him. And God didn't answer him three times. He started to feel this separation. And finally, hanging here on the cross, he's like, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? I am separated from you. And so Jesus died spiritually on the cross. And a few moments later, he'll say, it is finished. And he'll give up his spirit, right? And he will die physically on the cross, his body and his soul separated. So I just want you to see how Jesus kind of does it backwards for us, where we're going to die and face the judgment. Next thing I want to talk about is the misconception of Jesus in hell. The, the Apostles' Creed has he descended into hell, and most Apostles' Creeds have a little asterisk to explain what they mean by that, that he was in Hades. Um, but I, I don't believe that Jesus himself went to hell proper. I do believe he experienced, though, he experienced hell in that he experienced that separation from God. This is what the second death is, the separation from God. And Jesus experienced that for the first time for us. And so Jesus was separated from God. But when he died, if you remember what he said to the, to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me where? In paradise, which is that blessed side of Hades. And so for three days, Jesus goes and he's in Hades. And, the, and that one thief was in the blessed side at Abraham's bosom. And that's where he's at. Isaiah 53 says, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he's poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That Jesus took God's wrath. He experienced separation from God. He spent time in, in, in paradise, but he'd already felt the agony of being separated for God so that we wouldn't have to. And then finally, as you think about your death, remember Jesus' examples. 1 Corinthians says, uh, 15, 22 says, And for, Adam, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to him. And so what the scriptures are teaching is that Jesus is an example of what's going to happen to us. He died. His body and his spirit were separated, right? His spirit went to, to paradise, the, the good side, the blessed side of Hades, and it waited there for three days. In three days, that body, that soul came out of Hades, and the body was put back together in the grave, and the two of them together walked out alive. Forty uh, some days later, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it tells us, And then, and when he said these things, they looked on him, and he was lifted, and, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, and he went, and behold, two men stood with them on uh, with white clothes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. Jesus is an example of what's going to happen to us. Our body and our soul are going to be separated. They're going to spend some time experiencing life as we've chosen, whether it's the narrow way or the wide road. One day we're going to be resurrected and we're going to stand before God and He's going to pronounce that judgment upon us. And then we're either going to be with Jesus in heaven or we're going to be separated and experience the second death. 
Jesus is the example that we hope in. That one day I'll walk up, walk out, wake up, walk out, and see God face to face for all eternity. That's what I'm anticipating on the day I die. Maybe that's why it doesn't bother me quite as much. So Hebrews 9 says this. Just as it was man, just as man is appointed to die once. You're not getting out of the first death. That's appointed. It's not a choice. And that after that face judgment, the result of the decision we made on which road we walked. So Christ offered once to bear the sins of many. He was separated from God so that we won't have to be separated from God. He bore our sins. He appeared a second time not to bear sin. That's taken care of. To bring salvation to those who eagerly await him. To say, come resurrected one, enter into the joy prepared before you and skip over that second death stuff. Do you believe there is a God? Do you identify Jesus as God and Lord? What do you anticipate will happen on the day you die? Those are our questions as we approach Easter next week. And we'll cover what's that first step to get me on the narrow way? Because it's the road less traveled. And that will make all the difference.